And away we go. It is the BCJ podcast presented by our good friends at the Holy Grail. If you're down at the banks, make sure you're stopping by the Holy Grail. Get yourself something good to drink, some awesome food, cold beverages. As uh, today was kind of that uh, that preview of where we're about to be. 75 degrees, beautiful day out. That brings people out to the banks, out to Dora, and make sure you're stopping by. And supporting our friends at the Holy Grail. As we always say, they support us. So it would be great for you to support them. Let's get this show on the road. We're back in our normal Wednesday, 8 p.m. time slot. No basketball game tonight. So uh, we are back on our regular schedule. As always, joined by David Simone. And a special guest. Super special guest tonight. As uh, we are working our way. Your guest, your your coach number one after having sat on, so no pressure. All right, that's not bad. I'll take it. We are joined by new quarterback coach Pete Thomas, who uh, comes to Cincinnati from Louisville, and uh, a a very good resume for a young guy breaking into the business and uh, one of the hot names in the assistant coaching world. So, uh, Pete, welcome to the show. Welcome to the network. And uh, it's awesome to have you on and joining us for the first yeah, time. Yeah, man. Appreciate you guys having me on. Obviously, seen a lot of your stuff and heard a lot about you guys. So, uh, glad to be on. All of it good, I'm sure. All of it great. <laughs> so, uh, you, you, what year actually did your playing career stop? Yeah. So, my last year in college was 2014 at Louisiana Monroe. And then um, after that, you know, I was in rookie minicamp with the Chargers and Giants and did the substitute teaching thing and coached at my high school, played one of arena ball for the L.A. Kiss. It was crazy four months, but a good time. And then I uh, started coaching. So what do you think, uh, as you're getting into this world and you're experiencing now, how much of a strength is it to be able to relate to these guys, you know, that, that you're a guy that, that not too long ago was in their shoes. How much does that help? Yeah, I, I think it's crucial. I mean, it's not the end-all, be-all for sure. Uh, sure. But but it definitely uh, is a positive, I think. Um, you know, just getting done playing, you know, eight years ago, something like that. Um, and then also playing the position that you're coaching, I think is uh, somewhat important. You know, obviously, it's, I mean, there, there's a lot of good coaches that haven't played the position, but I think sure. – uh, it definitely doesn't hurt, you know, just, you know, being a younger guy and playing the quarterback position, now coaching quarterbacks, you know, I, I definitely think it's positive. Dave? So you, you went to, you know, went to Louisville, met up with Coach Satterfield, had your own room for two years there. Yep. You know, what was, you know, kind of the experience of like getting your own room and what, what were kind of the things that you learned about yourself as a coach and, and learned from one year to the next, and now you're going to bring here to UC. Yeah, you know, when I, when I was at App State with Coach Sad as a GA and QC, you know, I worked with the tight ends, worked with the quarterbacks, and my first two years at uh, Louisville, I was actually the offensive line at QC, um, which really, really, really helped me out. You know, I worked for Dwayne Ledford, and he's with the Falcons now, and, you know, just learned more about football in the run game and, the, you know, the whole picture up front. And then uh, after the 2020 season, our quarterback coach left, and uh, Coach Sapp promoted me to quarterback coach. Um, and it was obviously – I was very, very happy and, you know, good to be – glad to be back with the quarterbacks after playing quarterback for so long. Um, and, and definitely learned a lot. You know, I felt like I was ready at the time. Um, but then you quickly realize running your own room, you know, especially at the Power 5 level is a lot different than um, than just sitting back being a QC, not dealing with all, all the day-to-day stuff running your own room. Uh, so it was definitely a learning experience. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm not done learning; still learning 
every single day from, you know, some of these older coaches and whatnot. Um, you know, but I feel like I settled in pretty, pretty quickly. And obviously having coach sat, you know, he was quarterback guy for, you know, over 20 years, uh, definitely kind of helped me moving along and, and realizing what's, what's truly important when running your own room. When, when you guys work things through, whether it's game planning or install, and you have a head coach that calls plays and then there's an offensive coordinator and then yourself, offensive line coach, like what is, do you have a specific role in all of that that you tend to focus on or does everybody just kind of do a little bit of everything? Yeah. You know, one of the very unique things about coach set um, is obviously he calls the plays, but he takes input from everybody. He'll take input from GAs, QCs, all that stuff. Um, and the way we game plan is a little bit different. You know, I know some OCs or head coaches that call plays, they, you know, walk into the assistant's desk on whatever, Monday or Tuesday and say, hey, this is what we're doing, coach it up. But that is the exact opposite of how Coach Sat has been for years, you know. Um, it, it, it's a collaborative effort. Um, I mean, we're all coming up with ideas, every position coach, the coordinator, Coach Sat, the GAs, QCs, and we all kind of, round table it out and, and decide, you know, what what's best for that week, how to run a certain play. Um, and I think it's been very successful. You know, it's been really successful for Coach Sack going back 20 years and, you know, been very successful uh, for us the last couple of years at Louisville. As a young coach, take me through that process of finding your voice in, in coaching because quarterbacks obviously always have a voice. They always have a, a say in things, but how do you – you transition that into, okay, now I'm the guy that's, that's running the room and in a different way, I'm the guy that's, that's kind of leading the, the pack. Yeah. I, I think the number one thing to do, uh, especially as younger coaches, be yourself. Don't try to be anyone else. Um, don't try to be something you're not because in my opinion, the players can kind of see right through it. You know um, if you're a fa- if you're not a, the screaming personality and you're going out there yelling and this and that, I think the players are going to see right through it. Um, so I think the number one thing that's helped me is just being myself. Um, I, I'm not a screamer. I'm not a yeller. I'm a laid back guy. Um, and that's kind of how I am and how I, you know, coach your quarterbacks. Um, and just being yourself, I think definitely resonates with the players um, and kind of gains that respect in kind of a different way. You're at Louisville. You're getting ready for bowl season. You're, you're getting comfortable at Louisville, getting settled in. And all of a sudden you get the call. Uh, hey, we're we're headed up I seventy one. Take me through that process for you because you were one of the first guys that was kind of on board and and headed this way. Yeah, I was actually uh, I was actually out in California recruiting, and uh, you know we, we we had a staff Zoom call Monday morning, early Monday morning here, which was really early out there. Um, you know, I think it was four thirty a.m. or something like that, um, and you know got the news and, you know, got the call and came up here and, and, and checked it out. And obviously very quickly decided this was you know, where I wanted to be and follow Coach Sapp. So it was, it was a whirlwind, you know, 24, 48 hours. Um, and just kind of the nature of the beast now, man, it's, uh, there, there's, there's really no way around it in, in, in today's world without college sports is, you know, obviously uh, it sucks. We'd love to, stay and finish out the season and coach a bowl game. But um, the way it is now, it's, it's very, very, very hard to do that. You know, you've been with coach Satterfield now, as you said, multiple stops, 
just what are what are some of the teaching philosophies or just the program culture like the things that draw you to want to continue to to work with him and and you think some of the things that make him a really good uh head coach to to work for uh i, I know for a fact he's one and i'm not just saying this he's one of the best in the country to work for um just kind of the culture he says the work environment how he treats people you know um, i'm sure you guys know the name jerry moore you know if you're probably coach that talk about him a lot uh, i've met him a couple times i didn't play for him or coach for him or anything like that um, but his fingerprints are kind of all over Coach Satterfield and the way he operates his program. Uh, he treats, you know, coaches, treats coaches' families, treats players the right way, and it makes you want to play hard for him, makes you want to coach hard for him, um, and it makes you just want to be around him, and it makes you enjoy coming to work every day. You know, a lot of times in this business, it's uh, it, it, it's not a family environment, and it's not very fun to come to work. Coach Satterfield's the exact opposite. And, and that's not just words, you know, anybody that has worked for him will tell you that, um, you know, so that's number one. And then one of the, obviously many things make him a great head coach, very successful head coach. Um, but, but I think one thing that really makes him successful is, and it's kind of simplified, but he uses common sense with everything, you know, um, football wise, he uses common sense and the building uses common sense. And it's amazing how, how far just using common sense with stuff and treating people the right way can take you. Um, and that's kind of, you know, w- what I've taken from him over the last, you know, six, seven years. What do you, what do you take from your game? Obviously every quarterback is different. Every, you know, skill set and, and their strengths and weaknesses are different. What, what do you take from what you were able to accomplish on the field to kind of import, impart that in the guys that you're teaching? Uh, man, the days of me playing quarterback are kind of over with, you know, unless you can absolutely <laughs> spin the football, you know, six five two thirty that can't really move and just throw it okay are, are kind of over with, you know. Um, but but I think I, I, playing for so many different coaches and so many different offenses at the time, I didn't realize it, never thought I would transfer all that stuff. Um, but now looking back on it, man, you kind of take bits and pieces from every offense, every coach that you like, that you don't like, um, and, and kind of mesh it with how you want to be um, as a coach, you know. And, and again, I think playing the quarterback position helps in terms of uh, everything that they do, you know, or I teach is through the eyes of playing quarterback. Um, and that's kind of how Coach Sad is and how he calls plays. Everything he does is through the eyes of the quarterback, you know. Um, but I think just having that, you know, firsthand experience of playing quarterback at a Division One level definitely helps. It's funny you mentioned transferring. Does that give you an edge in the in the transfer portal era that you're a guy that uh, has been there, done that? You've gone through it. You've you've found a a new home, so to speak, when you were going through your, your college experience? Yeah, you know, obviously, I thought I was going to be at Colorado State playing for that head coach all four years. It didn't work out that way, you know. Um, and I think having that experience of um, playing for a lot, a lot of different head coaches, good situations, bad situations, um, I think it can definitely help in kind of, you know, walking through some of these guys that are thinking about leaving or not leaving or, or any of that stuff, that, that firsthand knowledge kind of giving them the pros and cons of transferring or not transferring, you know, definitely has some merit to it because, uh, you know, I've 
I've done it before the, the portal was out there, you know. I think the most interesting question people want to know, what's it like having a quarterback room with more bodies than the wide receiver room? <laughs> I, I, I've never been a part of it, man, but uh, it is a great quarterback room. A lot of talent in there, obviously. Um, and, man, I just can't wait to get spring ball started on Monday. That was one of the running jokes as everything was was all playing out. It got down to what I think just – uh, Chris Scott and Marcus Peters. It, it, I don't know exact numbers, but it, it got down for sure. <laughs> it got down for sure. It's just kind of the, the 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 nature of the business now, man. You can have room depleted really, really, really quickly. Um, but that's one of the benefits of the portal too. You can also build that room up pretty quickly. You know, who's your money on this week? Tyler Scott or Trey Tucker? Uh, you, you know what the 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 Tyler Scott kid. I think. Uh, I think it fly from from what I've seen. I don't know for sure, but just from an outsider's perspective, I think he can fly. They both ran four two nines here. That's pretty impressive. So the thing is, they're they're both they're both from the same area. Okay. Uh, Trey's one year older. They grew up in like in vans driving to AAU basketball tournaments together since they were like seven years old. Like, oh, so they they really want to run faster than the other one. Oh, it's yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've been seeing. Obviously, I've seen highlights of them and all that stuff. They can absolutely fly. And I'm uh, excited for the combine. Kind of mad. Sure. Kind of mad. You don't have them for next year. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Those, those those are some good wideouts now. Go ahead. Dave. So, <clears throat> our fans know a lot about the quarterback room, but probably don't know much about you know seen him play. But Emory Jones coming in <clears throat> started at Florida, started at Arizona State. What are some of the things that that drew you guys to him and and felt like he was a, a good fit for your system and, and what we're going to be doing going to the Big 12? Yeah, you know, obviously he's – Emory's played a lot of ball um, at big-time places at Florida and Arizona State, you know, and he can, he can run it, he can throw it, he can do all that stuff, and he's got a lot of experience, man. And you can't – you can't put a price tag on experience, um, especially going into the Big 12. Um, so th- th- that was a big draw for us. Um, but just on top of Emory, man, just, you also got Ben Bryant, a lot of experience. Um, so you, you got two guys that have, you know, played a lot, a lot of football. Um, and obviously you got the talent behind them, you know, um, you got Brady Lichtenberg, you got Evan, uh, Evan Prater, you got Brady Drogosh, the, you know, the young kid. Um, so it's a very, very deep quarterback room, uh, that I personally can't wait to see, you know, compete, you know, over the next month or two in spring ball. You guys had a pretty dynamic Quarterback in Malik Cunningham at, at Louisville um, put up some pretty ridiculous numbers, especially his junior year. wasn't as healthy th- this past season. Yeah. Now you're in kind of a situation where you've got a couple. I mean, I don't like. We're going to throw the term around dual threat um, versus pocket passer. You kind of have both now. What? How does that work? From a in where we're not as familiar with this offense. Does that matter? Do you prefer one to the other? Does it? Is it pretty? you know, nondescript one, one way. How, how do you guys view that with what the, with the room you guys have now? It's kind of cliche, but you know, coach that myself, all of us, we, we prefer the one that's going to go out there and play the best and win ball games. <laughs> you know, whether it's Malik Cunningham type, that's going to throw for 3000 and run for a thousand or another guy that's going to throw for 3,500 yards and rush for a hundred yards, you know? Um, and, and, as coaches, if, if you say, if you only, say, in my opinion, if you only say, hey, this is my system, this is the 
one type of quarterback that I can coach, then I, I think you're doing it wrong. Um, it's all about doing what your players can do well. And if it's a dual threat guy like Malik that can run around all over the yard and, and still throw it, obviously, but, you know, run around and nobody can tackle him, then that's what you're going to do. If it's a guy that, you know, you know that can uh, not run as well, then but if he gives you the best chance, then that's what you're going to do. Obviously, the offense will change a little bit. Instead of running, you know, triple option, it might be more RPOs or throwing bubble screens or this or that, um, where the base offense would stay the same, but some of that auxiliary stuff would be a little bit different if you got if you have a guy that can't run as good. Um, and that's just what we have to find out this spring is, uh, you know, there's a lot of different types of quarterbacks in that room right now. They all do stuff very, very well, and we just need to find which one gives us the best opportunity. And you guys kind of, real quick, you guys kind of showed that at Louisville when Malik went down. Uh, you still managed to get to eight wins w- without your star guy and had a couple guys that, that did it a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean, it. number one, it's hard to win college football games in general. Number two, it's hard to win college football games with your backup quarterback. Um, and we went three and one with our backup quarterback, you know, which was very impressive, um, obviously. Uh, the defense being as good as they were, the O-line running the ball like they were helped. Um, but you, you saw what the offense can look like a little bit with a guy not named Malik Cunningham at the Power 5 level, you know. And uh, we, we were still very successful. The offense did look a little bit different. Um, but obviously, Coach Sat is going to call plays based off what the quarterback can do and what he can do well. <laughs> um, and, and we're going to game plan that way. So... Um, no matter who the quarterback is, runner, thrower, a guy that can do both, um, I, I'm a very confident we'll be just fine on offense. Take us inside the QB room and kind of the beginnings of spring practice. Like, what are the kind of the philosophies that you're working on right away? Obviously, there's going to be install and, and things like that. But, like, you know, when you're meeting your group and really digging in for the first true time of coaching and implementing things like what are what are your kind of your tent poles that you're going to stick out there and go these are the things we really need to do well i mean because we, we've been seeing them throw and kind of our ota type stuff um and they can all throw it but what you don't see right now which you'll get very quickly in spring balls decision making if you are not it doesn't matter how talented you are at quarterback if you are not a good decision maker you, you, you can't play you know if you're out there turning the ball over oh, turning the ball over left and right you can't play um, so decision-making is the biggest thing that I look for, the biggest thing that Coach Sat looks for. Decision-making and can you move the offense, and those kind of go hand-in-hand, you know. Um, but that's what we are really, really looking forward to, seeing how they make decisions when they're under pressure, how well they move, how well they operate the offense, um, and, and just can you rally people behind you and do what it takes to move the football. Jay, you got anything? I'm good. Um, okay. You're rolling. But you're talking ball. I was kind of <laughs> letting you talk some ball. That's right. Let's let's talk a little bit of recruiting. You're you're known as as a recruiter. Um, you know, helped helped Louisville get a bunch of really good players in in this class, and just recruiting quarterbacks. You know, obviously, you want big, strong arm guys that can command the huddle and push the ball down the field. But when you first start out on your evaluation, what are kind of like the first things you need to see? that then allows you to dig deeper into a player and try to, you know, be like, this is a guy I truly do want to recruit to, to UC. 
Yeah, I mean, just true, just football-wise, uh, not talking about, you know, the intangibles and leadership and, and all that stuff, because that, all that is very, very, very important. Um, and, and it's hard to find, but that's part of recruiting is you got to dig into people and see if they have it inside of them. You can't just turn on a highlight film, you know. Um, but uh, beside that stuff, which obviously is most important, um, accuracy, man. I think accuracy is, is the number one trait of playing quarterback. Um, I don't care how far you can throw the football. Obviously, I do. You can't only be able to throw it 35 yards down the field. But you have to be accurate. Accuracy is the number one most important trait. Physical trait, I, I believe, in playing quarterback. Um, you, you know, can you make the throws on third and four, third and six, when you need to? Um, it, it's pretty easy to hit a wide-open dude streaking down the field 55 yards down the field. But can you make the throws, you know, in crunch time? Uh, that are going to keep the chains moving and, and get you in the end zone. So a- accuracy is number one. Uh, y- you know, release, I think, is very important. Have a good tight release um, is number two. And then number three, obviously, I think that a-, a guy that can just move around and can be athletic, you know, it doesn't have to be a true dual threat guy, but you got to be able to move around a little bit and make some plays. Um, I-, I think those are, you know, kind of the three things uh, physically that you look for. So for quarterback coaches, a lot, one of the biggest times of the year is that April window where you guys get to go on the road and you get to see uh, a bunch of kids throw famously. uh, I don't know if you've heard this story before or not, but many, many moons ago, Zach Taylor, who's now the Bengals head coach went on the road. His, his one and only year at Cincinnati. I think he had eight different stops. One of those stops was in Louisville, Kentucky. It was the lowest rated guy on the list. A guy named Desmond Ritter at Louisville St. X High School. Yep. He came back to Cincinnati and the word was getting around that this was the guy. And of course, every you know how everybody is. That's that's the lowest rated guy. What are we doing? You're coming in and you're recruiting the lowest rated guy? Um, and he made that work. But talk about that process of like, all right, I'm getting ready to go out on the road. I've got these six or seven guys or whatever it is I'm going to go see in these two weeks. What are you zeroing in on? How much are you paying attention to the tangibles? Like you just talked about, or the, the, also the, like Des famously had like six of his guys from St. X show up like on a minute's notice at the field to run routes for him. Like how much of that stuff do you pay attention to? What's the, what's the, the organizational book look like for Pete Thomas when he hits the road in April to make those trips. Yeah. You know, kind of similar to that is you got your list of six to eight to 10, whatever, 12 guys, however many it is that you need to go see throw in person. It's very important for uh, quarterback coaches, offensive coordinators, head coaches, which they can't go out in the spring, but to see the ball come off the quarterback's hand. um, I, I think that is a game changer. But you can't also just fall in love with them throwing routes on air. What you see in person has to match up with their film, which has to match up with you recruiting, you talking to them. Um, so those those three things, obviously, you're recruiting them right now. You're, you're deciding whether they have intangibles, if you think they'd be a fit. You're, you know, you, obviously, you've seen their game film. You've seen their good plays. You've seen their bad plays. You've seen their highlight film. You've seen it all. Um, and then on top of that, if you like those two things, that's when you go see them throw in person to make sure 
the feeling you're getting talking to them on the phone, what you see on film matches up with what you see in person. Um, and, and if all of those three things line up, then you feel pretty good about making your decision. Now, obviously, it's not an exact science. You know, I mean, right. people in the NFL are, that's all they worry about is trying to find a quarterback. Um, and it's not an exact science. And you hit on some and you miss on some. Uh, it just, it is what it is. But you try to streamline that process uh, so you, the program, the organization can make the best decision on what quarterback to sign. Because obviously, uh, the quarterback position is very, very, very important. Uh, Tonk, $5. Thank you. Appreciate the donation. Uh, I, I want the one more thing on recruiting. I'll let it get back to you, Dave. Uh, I'm more coaches, recruiting too. Coaches are generally very territorial, especially quarterback coaches, very territorial about their quarterbacks. You get to Cincinnati, you've got a four-star quarterback committed, ready to sign, what was that first look at tape or, or had you already watched and familiar with Brady Drogosh? Uh, what was that thought process of, wait a minute, like need, need to keep this one in the boat. Can't, can't let this one get out in the water. Yeah. You know, obviously I, I had watched him previously. Um, you know, I had not watched his senior stuff because uh, we had a quarterback commit at Louisville. He was committed here. So I had not watched the senior stuff. I knew he was good. Followed him at the elite 11, all that stuff. Um, but, you know, our quarterback at Louisville committed pretty early. Um, watched senior stuff immediately. And, uh, well, man, we need to do everything, anything and everything to keep this guy. So as soon as I uh, legally could, talked to him on the phone, went up and, uh, you know, had a probably three-hour home visit with him, him and his family. Um, that went great. Talked to him, talked to his parents every day. They came on the official visit kind of kept that relationship going um, and obviously went really, really, really well. And uh, he's here right now. We are very, very, very lucky to have him because what we've seen so far is um, very, very impressive for a, uh, you know, he's actually only 17, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. So um, he's got, he's got a lot of ability. He's got a lot of stuff that you can't coach, which is fun to work with, you know, I'm not a player comparison guy, but a little bit of Josh Allen, like size-wise, ability to move. Not a lot of guys are as big as him can can move like he does. Yeah, no doubt. I agree. I mean, he's big. He, he's tall. He can run. He can throw it. Um, very, very excited to coach him and work with him and, you know, see him develop over the next, whatever, three, four, five years. You're obviously going to go wherever the players are and, you know, wherever the – the talent takes you, but where are some of the areas that you've kind of developed your better relationships with um, from a recruiting standpoint that, that you kind of, you know, kind of call your own when, when you go out on the road? Yeah. You know, obviously out in California, being from California and we had a couple kids committed from out there. Um, who knows how much we'll get out there here at Cincinnati, you know, um, recruited Birmingham for the last couple of years. Um, actually was up here in Cincinnati a little bit when we were at Louisville. Um, and, and the Dayton area. Um, so I, I think those, you, you know, those kind of two, three, four areas are, are kind of where, where I've hit the most. Then Dave, do you know? The, what's that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, with the transfer portal, quarterback position obviously is a, as important as any other. How do you go about recruiting 
is there a different philosophy recruiting high school kid versus transfer portal quarterback and and you know how has that evolved in in the time that the portals turned into to what it's become yeah i i, I think there's um i think there's different types of portal kids if that makes sense if you're if you're recruiting an older kid that's played what they want to know is what can you do for me how do i fit the offense you know what can you for what can you do for me on the field so i can produce the best um whereas high school kid a kid that's been in college one year it might be more of the normal recruiting stuff that you think in terms of you know facilities degree town city obviously the football part is big but um, those older kids that have been in college three four years which I was the same way when I was the grad transfer. I'm trying to find the best fit solely based off football. So it, it is definitely different types of um, recruiting high school kid, a younger portal kid, and an older, you know, portal kid. All right, Dave. With spring practice starting Monday, obviously there's a lot of new faces offensively, not as many defensively, but just – from what you've gotten to know the guys so far and and like you said the little bit that you've been able to see with with throwing sessions and things like that like just kind of your your quick assessment of of what you guys have to work with and, and kind of the the areas that uh you, you'd like to see you know really really take a jump in the spring i mean first of all the guys they love working out they love throwing they love football which you, you can win a lot of games you know with guys like that they genuinely love being out there, being with each other um, and working. Obviously, it'll be – it's been a, a big learning curve, completely new offense. You know, kind of the way we do stuff is a little bit different um, offensively. Um, but the guys are working hard. They're picking it up. Um, and, and I know with them, they're, they're ready to put helmet pads on and play some real football um, and not just, you know, running, lifting, and, and throwing a little bit. Um, I mean, to be honest – we don't really know how we're going to be day one, day two, day three spring ball. You know, um, we've never seen these guys in pads with a helmet on blocking, tackling in our offense, you know, throwing and catching. Uh, so we're going to find out. The good thing is we don't play Oklahoma in a week. You know, we got another, whatever it is, seven months before we kick off the season. So um, it, we are really, really looking forward to, you know, spring ball and getting out there with these guys and, and working with them and coaching them and see how they react to, you know, different situations. So Pete, I'm told you and you and coach sat love to hit the links. Oh yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm, oh, I'm addicted to it. That's my hobby. D did you know Dave here used to work for the PGA tour? Really? I did. What'd you do? Operations. So I'd go into town six months to a year before the tournament and set up, do all the setup for it. How'd you like Tory Pines? I did. I've not been out there. I've been really? a lot of stuff I've done has been uh, like East Coast, Midwest. So like okay. whist, Whistling Straits, yeah. uh, Oak Hill, where the PGA Championship is this year in Rochester, okay. New York. Uh, lived in Bermuda for a little bit. Have you been down to Harbor Town at all in Hilton? Yep, or? I've yeah. been. I've seen that and Pinehurst. And, and, yeah, it's uh, that's awesome. I'm yeah, I love golf. Well, hopefully, I'm. So we had Doug Martin the golf coach on last week okay and they That's won cool. their first first tournament of the year i saw that this I saw week that. so we're we're taking full credit for the bearcat journal 
podcast bump. There you go. So you're on now. So the offense is going to have a flawless spring practice and there we go. No probably score, score 50 points in the spring game. I love it. I love it. Maybe being on here will help my handicap a little bit too. That'd be great. <laughs> what is, We're what's also, your number? What's that? What's your number? I ended the season. I ended last summer. I think it was maybe a 5.3. Whoa, buddy. You'd you have to get, give me some strokes. I, I like that. I'm used to giving <laughs> Coach Sat a lot of strokes. Yeah. <laughs> We're we're uh we're we're organizing we're putting a scramble together, and we're we're gonna try to get the proceeds to go to uh, Cincy Rains. Okay. As we're working on that, we might we might have to sneak you into a foursome or something. If 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 there's a golf scramble and Coach Sat will allow me to play in it, I will be there. Love it. Without love a doubt. it, love it. Dave, Dave knows all the courses around town, so we have to get you guys to together at. Yeah, we have to get you guys together. Well, you're a little busy uh, now. Right now, yeah. The next couple (laughs) months will be busy, but we might be able to sneak out once or twice, and then July, a little vacation time will be. uh, Hey, we need to get this. Is what we need to do, Chad. We need to get me, Pete, Uh Coach Set, and Wes for some. Oh, Wes is a big golfer too. The basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard he is. I've heard he is. So we. we got to make that happen. We have that'd to. be some good content. Yep. So here's a great West story for you, Pete. This tells you how much West likes to compete. When he first gets the job, so you know he played at North Carolina. Yep. With Hansborough on those guys. Yep. So they have a retreat every year where that national championship team all gets together for like a weekend. And West has just gotten the job, and it's recruiting season in the spring, and he's like. He's swamped. So he can't go to the retreat full time. So he manages to figure out one day and he goes to the retreat to play Hansborough and golf, beat him, and then got back on a plane and left. That's all. I, I, I respect that big time. I'll tell you what, something about golf, man, it brings out the best. <laughs> and the great thing about golf, it doesn't matter if you're good, bad, if the strokes are right, you, 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 you can get in a dogfight with anyone. And it's awesome. Yep. Yeah, we will. I'll get with Zach. We'll get you and Dave in touch. Absolutely. And Dave, Dave will help you out with the lay of the land around here. Golf. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Need it. Gotta have it. All right, man. Thank thank you so much for your first appearance. First of many appearances. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Appreciate it, guys. It was awesome. Anytime, anytime. I'll be here. We we like to be a little different. We like, you know, we had to set the stage today, but we, unlike a lot of podcasts that are fluff, we like to talk some ball. Yeah, no, like to get good. into the week, you know, it's the weeds. Good. I don't like the fluff. I don't like the cliches and all that stuff. So this was a good time. All right, appreciate it. Thanks, man. We'll no, talk soon. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, there you go, Pete Thomas, Cincinnati quarterback coach. That's your kind of guy. We just got the, the golfer. The golf is is ever present now. I mean, yeah, that is your kind of guy. You just, hey, you know, you get him, and uh, we got Coach Sat, we got Pete, we got Wes, Coach, yeah. Coach Martin. I mean, <laughs> everything's coming up, Dave, lately on this. It, it, it really, it really is. It really <laughs> is. Uh, what do you, you want to get to? Since we just got done with Pete, want to get to the the spring ball preview? Yeah, let's talk a little. Let's talk a little ball. Talk a little ball. Offense. Let's start. Let's just in the deep end. 
Dave. I'm gonna need, we're going to need, like, they're going to need to put the names on the helmets. <laughs> you know, it's offense is a, is definitely going to be a, wait, what, who's number what? Who, who's, who's that? I'm usually pretty good at, like, the number memorization portion of this job. I'm worried about offense for a couple weeks. Well, you got <laughs> new, so many new guys, and then who knows who's going to change their number. And we know in spring ball, half the time they're wearing, like, different jerseys each day. Yeah. And so it's going to be – yeah, it's going to be a, a minute – for you to to figure out uh outside of emory jones uh ben probably won't even be participating i'm sure he's still rehabbing i mean Uh, he's um from what i've heard he's throwing but that's about it yeah so you you probably have enough you'll, you'll know who the quarterbacks are you know who the running backs are uh one of the wide receivers, two of the wide receivers, and then Cam Jones, Gavin Gerhart. <laughs> so yep, yep. There's yep. gonna be a lot of a lot of new numbers and faces to to memorize. It's uh gonna be a lot. Yeah. And putting it putting in a new system, all new players, uh it, it could be uh, it could be a banner month for the defense. <laughs> the defense should be licking their chops at this opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> Very yeah, much. Especially, it, it, especially trying to figure out the offensive line against a defensive line that really has everybody but Jabari back. Yeah, because, I mean, that's, even, that's what spring practice is for. You try different offensive line combinations, even if you have – a fairly veteran offensive line. You're still tinkering with, you know, especially with the portal now, new new players, and and now you're going to be installing a new offense with, you know, at least one new quarterback and then several new offensive linemen that weren't even on the team last year. It's not even that you're trying returning players at different positions. You're You're doing that while also working in, totally new players to to the team yeah it, it could be um when the, when they decide to, to go at it that first time it, it could be it could be a rough go for the offense yeah I let, let's get into the weeds on offense start a quarterback um I said this Monday night and and it's the same thing we said last year like Ben Bryant didn't transfer back to Cincinnati to watch Evan Prater play quarterback Emory Jones does not transfer to Cincinnati with the intention of watching Ben Bryant play quarterback. Does that mean he's going to win the job? No, of course not. No, but go out and win it. He starts to go out and win it. But that, that man is coming in here with the confidence of this new staff recruited me here to be their quarterback, right? For sure. What what are your expectations uh, in terms of watching Emory Jones grasp this offense and kind of assimilate himself into the program? Uh, I mean, I don't, it's hard to, I don't know. It's hard to have expectations, much much of an expectation for a spring practice, especially with, you know, so much of it is a comfortability and they're not going to be comfortable in the offense in spring. Right. So much of it is cohesion of an offensive line. 
they're not going to have a cohesive offensive line in the spring. I mean, could they? Sure. But, I mean, us sitting here talking about it on March 1st, I, I, I mean, if they did, it would be – I'd be asking Coach Satterfield, like, what the hell, man? How did you get this figured out so quickly? Um, so I, I don't even know if I can really have expectations. I mean, he's been a competent quarterback at two other stops. I mean, he's got good movement skills. He's got a, a, a I wouldn't call it a, 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 you know, a huge arm, but a, a requisite arm, a, a plus arm. Um, and again, you're dealing with all new wide receivers too. So, so many things are just against the offense being successful that I, I'm not even sure that I'm looking at it from a expectation standpoint. I'm more so looking – I'm more interested in the offense from an actual X's and O's standpoint and learning what it is that this offense is going to be, who takes to it the quickest, whether it's from an offensive line standpoint or a running back standpoint. Because it's the schemes are vastly different. Some running backs run great in a zone scheme. Some running backs run great in a power scheme, but don't run great in a zone scheme. So it's going to be seen who who it fits and who who excels the quickest if if someone does. And 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 that's the thing I'm I'm kind of looking for. And and yes, we'll be looking for like how much better are they on day you know, day whatever versus day three. Yes, you want to see incremental improvement, but I'm just not sure what to really expect with so many different things. Um, I guess going going against them is, I'm not going to, I don't know if that's the proper term, but you're going against a defense that, yes, is is going to be a new scheme, but a lot of returning players. Uh, yeah, so guys that, that guys that know how to play with like communicate and and play with each other, even if it's a new system, right? And in this system, not that it will be easier or harder, but like this system is much more attacking than the previous system. Sure. And in the spring, that's even easier for them to to do. It's like just go get the ball, just go forward, be aggressive, go forward. Don't worry about necessarily all the calls immediately like just be aggressive and train yourself that we're going to be a going forward attacking style and that's going to hurt the offense too because the offensive line especially is going to be thinking the quarterbacks are going to be thinking the running backs are going to be thinking while the defense is just like just go play with your hair on fire and we're going to blitz you know five six guys every play so good luck with that are you are you going to be more inclined to watch seven on seven? <laughs> yeah, because they might actually have time to throw the ball in seven on seven. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was getting at. It, you don't get to see the run scheme in seven on seven, but if you're curious about the passing game, it might be might be seven on seven for a couple weeks. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, running back is really intriguing. Are are you? Are you a little bit interested in the spring game graphic announcing the time of the spring game featuring Miles Montgomery? I didn't even notice that until you said that. <laughs> um, 
But I mean, like, if you asked me about a uh, a running back for this offense, he would be the yep. guy that jumps out. I mean, he's a yeah. he's a one cut, like stretch it out, cut it off the guard's ass type of running back. He's there's you know, pickle. Yep. So yeah, I mean, he's the guy that I would be. You know, kind of most, you know, him and him and I would, you know, who knows what position he's playing now, but like him and Ethan Wright. Ethan's made it pretty clear he wants to be a running back. They're the two guys that I kind of envision as the, as the, I don't want to say leaders, but like kind of like the models of their running style fits this type of. I think it fits Corey pretty well also. A little. He's just more he's just more straight ahead than like I'm not sure how much he's gonna truly like I mean, because I haven't seen it, so I can't like the stretch play and then you know getting outside the hashes and, and to the numbers and then moving up off of that. It will be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah. And I mean you're still going to have uh, Ryan Montgomery there who has proven to be really solid in his time here, maybe more inside zone, but we'll find out. Sometimes guys will surprise you with uh, their ability to play in a system that maybe you didn't expect them to excel in. So, and, and I would say Monty has kind of surprised you each step of the way in terms of maybe not expecting him to continue to, Where did she? Where did she come from? She's so it's thunderstorming out. I stole your cup. I know, but like, I love it. It looks like your room has a corner, and she came out of the corner. Let me explain. (laughs) When it thunderstorms, our big seventy-pound pit bull mix turns into a puddle of mush and just lays in this corner, uh, shivering while it until the thunderstorm passes so the reason i had my camera off because kelsey walked in and walked behind me and was laying on the floor with him to comfort him okay that's why i was like how did you just come from the left when there's a wall there (laughs) (laughs) what is what is going on you just appeared out of nowhere at the back of the screen people were wondering where you came from the ground you were on the ground with the big scary dog that is shivering <laughs> like a leaf uh because there's rain outside he has my shirt on too yeah he does have your shirt on for comfort it's not working <laughs> it's not uh, working even but, a little bit i mean yeah there's offensively i who i mean tight end let's say tight end shaman I, I'm very interested to see. It's just water. Marshall I'm very Ford, interested to see. I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Who do you think is going to play fullback? H back, right? It's not yeah, necessarily I mean, fullback. No, but it's. I mean, it's a number in the 40s at Louisville. It was at least like who on our who on the UC roster fits that position? Caleb Schmitz, maybe. I, Maybe I don't. He was a know. linebacker in high school. What? Yeah. Like he was a. There was a question whether he was going to play linebacker or tight end. 
I think a linebacker would could transition pretty well into that spot. Yeah. You Royer, asked. I'm just Royer. I'm, can Royer come back? He's got a year. He does have a year. Does he have hands? Can he catch? I wouldn't trust him with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that GE is going to let him let him go either. Oh, really? They don't. They can't yeah. work out like an NIL deal for him. Probably not. I mean, he wouldn't have to take many classes, right? Like he's already. I think he already got a master's or something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Who do you think? I I have no idea. Um, you know, it will be interesting. It will be very Well, I guess maybe the, you know, like the, the Western, Western Kentucky yes. transfer. Yeah. Joey, Joey Belgian. Belgian. Yeah. I'm thinking maybe that maybe that's a, a role, you know, role he can uh, can be. Wide receiver. <laughs> I don't. I mean, literally, it's going to be like, "Hi, I'm you know, welcome yeah. to UC." <laughs> and probably still more to come. Like, oh, I don't I think we're done meeting new wide receivers. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. I mean, they still don't have a full room. No. What do they have? Seven. Well, you have the two that stayed: Chris Scott and Marcus Peterson. Yeah. Ty Perkins. It's three. Then and you then have the, the four. Is it four four transfers? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's seven. That's seven. Yeah. So you still and need, you need uh, typically what? Twelve? Quite a few more. Barry Jackson. <laughs> we forgot Barry oh, yeah. Jackson. Mm-hmm. But he's is he? Uh, but is he there for spring though? Um, I don't know and, if he's an early enrollee or not. I, I think Ty is, but I can't. I yeah. can't say about him. I think he was, but I'm not 100 percent positive of that. We probably should have asked that. So yeah, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight guys in the wide receiver room. <laughs> a little low. It's a little low. Yeah, no, I don't think we're going to see a lot of. Of you know four and five wide spring well, practice. I mean, you might. They're just going to have to hurry up going, and get back. They're going to be in great. They're going to be in great shape to go. Oh man, one like like one on ones. Ooh, twenty reps. Twenty one one uh, one session or segment of seven on seven. Those dudes are going to be tired. <laughs> very, very tired. Um, offensive line kind of touched on it'll be interesting at center i mean you think they're i would guess it's gonna be uh trevor yeah radosevich or what yes i mean radosevich yeah trevor you would think it's (laughs) gonna be him gavin uh would make really you know a, a lot of sense at one guard um Luke Kandra. Obviously, I mean, if Luke I'm Kandra. guessing, I'm guessing 
those three in the middle. Um, Jones and Williams, at least the first go of it. Initially. Initially, right. yeah. Because uh, honestly, like, I, who else do they have to play tackle? Um, It's going to depend. Philip Wilder, I'm sure, will get a look, but he's a little... On, like it's 280 is what he was listed at, or is what he's listed at on 24 7. I mean, I guess six five. D'Artagnan, I get, I think, will be in the mix at guard. At guard, yeah, I would, I would agree there. Um, I don't know, man. Ethan Green as a redshirt freshman, he's gonna be in the probably gonna be in the two deep. I mean, who else? They don't really have any. I mean, this was. This is this season and this unit as of now is is kind of biting them in the lack of tackle recruitment and development in the fickle area. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually that catches up to you. You know? Yeah, whether it's by injuries in a season or by attrition and graduation and guys just don't make it because that's just how it works. And now you're literally down to like two, three guys that have really hardly played. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's it's going to be a challenge to figure out exactly what the the path forward is on the offensive line. And that's another room like wide receiver. Like you have to fully expect there's going to be at least another one or two guys. The problem the there is, is like wide receiver. If a bunch, if guys get hurt, you can just not use wide receivers. Yeah, you can go multiple tight ends. You, you, you can't can. just like not have tackles. No, I think that would be a problem. <laughs> so, like, while the receiver room is is shallow right now, like they can add more, and uh, you can always not use as many receivers it's not like right. you can just not use as many linemen in your offense yeah we're just we're just we're only gonna go with uh we're just gonna use four yeah just we're, we're, three offensive linemen this week we're gonna go three offensive linemen put well we don't have enough receivers to then put in people out <laughs> wide <laughs> if we did that exactly Exactly. That that part, I mean, it's it's frustrating because it's not like they didn't recruit tackles. They just didn't recruit tackles that worked unless they were short fix, you know, quick fix type guys. Yeah. The long fixes never really became a factor. No. Yeah, I mean, you're still waiting for John Williams and Cam Jones. Maybe it's – maybe – you catch, you know, you, you catch a, a stroke of good luck, and and those guys are what you were looking for. What you're looking for, just, and play every snap the whole year, the whole season. Yeah, not miss a snap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, so that's that's offense, which is basically to say, we don't know. 
Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, defense. I mean, defensive line, you have to feel good about with Malik back. You, you've you got Briggs back. Uh, so those two guys, you know, kind of take you into a different level than you could have achieved if they had both moved on or if even one of them had moved on. Yeah, I mean, Do you got... think we see Briggs back outside so you get Malik, Briggs, and Corleone all together? I don't the, – the problem is I don't think any of them are the upfield, like, get after the quarterback type. No, they're, they're not. But, um... but if they're really running like a 3-4, in the 3-4, it's the linebackers that are used – Yes, rush. in like the true truest sense of the three four. Yes, you are right. Like the old Pittsburgh Steelers style of three four. The had, New England three four had two hundred and eighty, two hundred and ninety pound tackles. You know, and then you had like your Vince Wilfork and Casey Hampton at yeah. nose. But I don't know. I, at least going off of last year, like Louisville didn't run it quite that way. Like they did have more of a edge presence from from the D-line. Um, I mean, they had a lot of guys get a lot of sacks, and I, I can't can't claim to be an expert on, on what that looked like, and hopefully we can get Coach Brown on sometime and, and kind of dig deeper into that, and I'm sure we'll get an idea, or you'll get an idea at the practices you're able to attend and in conversation. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be looking at the main rush component coming from you know your back seven, but you know you still do need to have some some rush presence from your front, regardless of what the alignment is. And Malik has shown to be a guy that can get in the backfield. Briggs, I thought two years ago, as he like after Malik was out for a while, I thought you see you started to see Briggs get a little bit more accustomed to playing outside and getting yeah. up the field a little bit more. You know, he's out. Neither of them are obviously a Maje like long, bendy, twitchy freak type guy. They're obviously both more power guys, and you pair that with Corleone. Say what you will, that is a shit ton of muscle. Oh, it is. It's just, it's hard to, yep. From a pressure standpoint, it's hard to win consistently with power. Yeah. Like, because of just the way offenses are in it, like, it's, you can't get back there quick enough. Like, there's not a, there's not a game wrecker type, you know, third down. This this guy is going to beat his man if he's singled up, or he's going. They're going to double team him because they're so afraid of him that they just right now at least they don't they don't have that from the front, and so that would be my that would be my biggest concern is where are you get how are you going to have to compensate for that? Where are you going to have to bring additional pressure, and then where does that leave you exposed because? You know, now they might never even do that because they they sure didn't seem to do it very much at Louisville. Like, just rush three and 
drop eight. Um, right. So maybe it doesn't matter because they're always going to be bringing, you know, an extra guy somewhere. Right. So, but you know, that's that's my that's my biggest, you know, thing that I'll be I would be watching defensive line wise is is how are they how are they doing that with what are they doing with the down three? Do you think Daniel Graziak fits into a down three or do you think he's going to be an outside linebacker? I think he's more of an outside. I mean, he's going to be like an edge guy, but I don't see him. Like he's not a first and second down edge guy. Right. Uh, Then you have, you know, Justin Watley. You have a new staff working with Rob Jackson you have, do we see like uh, a Tyler Jamal, Gillison, I to, Jamal I to Williams? See Jamal Williams, he's the closest they got to that, to the to the Majay mold. Yeah, but they wanted him to be Majay for two years, and he, right. he wasn't able to get there. No, I know, but you know, guys develop at different rates, and you know, maybe playing in, you know, playing in this style. Maybe that benefits him more. Possibly. It, it'll be interesting to see, does Dominique Perry, like, is he able to stay healthy after a really rough year of some stuff that was beyond his control physically? Uh, do we see, you know, uh, Derek Shepard start to, to push up the roster? Like, there's just a lot of, big body capable dudes in that defensive line room. Oh yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is like, I, you know, I don't want to, cause I don't know, but like defensively part of me thinks they fell into like kind of a, a trap of success in that the 2021 team and what they did defensively, I feel like, kind of hurt the 2022 team. Because I just think they lined up and were like, we're just going to beat you with our stuff. We're just going to be more talented than you. We're just going right. to be better than you. And they didn't quite have that same level of talent. And so not being as dynamic as maybe they needed to be allowed teams to kind of be like, well, yeah, but like, Yes, you guys are still good, but if you're just going to show us exactly what you're going to do most of the time, then it's it's not going to be as, as effective as it was before. And this defense is certainly not that. Uh, so we'll we'll see if that maybe helps some of these guys showcase their – because, I mean, really, like they didn't do anything special with the defensive line last year. No, they just lined up and said we're, we're going like, to be who we are. Right. When Kurt, when Curtis Brooks left, you know they we were a different defensive line unit in the way that they. I also left. think there was some nature of as the season wore on, like just block the center and let Ivan, like go to work. Sure, because that was very effective. <laughs> it was, but in the highest leverage situations. Yeah. Yeah, especially like the two lane game. Their, I don't know, their lack of creativity, I think, 
kind of allowed Tajay Spears to get in quite a groove. Well, and Keaton Mitchell too, even like in the second half, yeah, yeah, they struggled with those. I mean, guys they, mo- they moved Tulane moved their offensive line all game, and we had no answer for it. No. Uh, linebacker, what's your what's your outlook at linebacker? Uh, I think this defense fits Jaheim Thomas to a T. It should, yes. I I would hope that he has a big big jump in in production this year. He, he should be he should be a guy that this system is uh designed for. And who do you, who do you think takes over uh Deshaun Pace's starting spot at linebacker? Because you think Deshaun Pace is going to be a nickel or a safety. Uh he's going to be something in the back end. I'm not sure what. <laughs> yeah. Uh that's a I I guess that's hard for me to answer because they're not asking somebody to replace Deshaun Pace. Because I don't think they have like the 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 sniper, right? Like, right. They're they're more of they want their linebackers to be more downhill than space. Yes, I mean Greziak would be like the obvious. He's going to be an outside backer. Yeah, for sure. But he's not going to play anything like Deshaun Pace. No, uh, he's a yeah. He's not covering anybody. He's he's coming here to get the quarterback. Yeah, um, I, I, the, the name I'm in, really intrigued to see how this staff uses is Sincere Lewis. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think he really, like, he made them feel Leroy Bowers was expendable. And going into spring, man, this staff wanted Leroy Bowers to be a star this time a year ago. And for whatever reason, that didn't necessarily work out. And I think a lot of it, as things played out, played out as they did because they felt like, well, Sincere Lewis is is a dude. So I'm interested in Sincere Lewis. Uh, you know, um, the, the rest of that linebacking core is going to be interesting to see like how it how it develops because I think they're just looking for different types of guys. Than, than Fickle's defense was. I just want to chime in here real quick and, and let everybody know that Vanderbilt just beat Kentucky. They did. So that's fun. I know you're a Tennessee fan and there's a lot of hate for Kentucky. Um, is there... I, 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 here's a name. I'm going to throw a name out. One, Jack Dingle's going to have a role in the middle somewhere, you would have to, sure. have to assume. Jonathan Thomas just always impressed me when he was given an opportunity last year. Yeah, very, very good. Uh, I remember very good spring game. Thompson. Thompson, sorry. Thank you, sir. Jaheim Thomas, Jonathan Thompson. I'm going to screw that up from here to eternity. Uh, But, yes, I mean, I think anybody that shows a – uh, aggressiveness and an ability to get beat blocks and get in the backfield is going to see the see the field. Here's another one that's interesting: Devin Hightower. Yeah, we don't was really a pretty highly much. rated recruit. We at don't really know State. much about you know his ability. So no, he tore his he tore his bicep. Look, you can't question his toughness. 
he had a muscle rip off of his his bone and played an entire scrimmage. And then at the end of the scrimmage was like, my hand feels a little tingly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll probably, we'll, we're going to take a look at that. Oh yeah. Your, your biceps no longer attached. Um, yeah. See that thing that just rolled up your arm. <laughs> That's why your fingers are tingly son. Uh, yeah. I mean, David Jones, another one keep an eye on. He's shown some potential. Like there's names at least at linebacker that you feel pretty good about. Yeah. I mean, I'm there's, it's kind of a similar situation to, I think I'd say like um, DB last year. Yeah. Like we didn't, we didn't know what Jaquan Shepard was going to be. We didn't know what Sammy was going to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's guys that have been, have kind of, you know, waited their turn and that's the thing defensively with this, I, we just don't know what the, a total scheme change, like who loves it, who hates it, who, you know, it does, who, who it fits great, who it, it fits poorly. Like we're just not going to be able to know that until we, until we truly see it. Yeah. Defensive back is going to be very interesting. And you've got a bunch of guys that have been trying to fight their way up the roster. Sammy Anderson, Justin Harris, Taj Ward has been effective. Um, You know, Todd Bumpus has been on the cusp quite a bit. And then safety you're looking at. You would think from what we've seen, Brian Threats and Amorian Smith, are going to be right there, but Jacob Dingle has been a factor. Isaiah Cox is a guy that that they loved his versatility and they loved his ability uh, when he was coming in. Hasn't made that jump yet. Um, then you've but got he's two, another name that DJ Taylor and Jordan Young transferring in. Yeah, Ray I think Kornack. they've got enough Ray bodies Kornack to be solid. Is, uh, early enroll- oh yeah, how many? So when Deshaun Pace plays nickel slash safety and him threats and Amorion are on the field at the same time, what's the over-under on targeting ejections this year? Oof. Let's uh, over-under at three and a half. Oh, way over. Way over. <laughs> what are you taking, six? You got <laughs> <No>. six? <laughs> well, let's see. Threats was thrown out of two games last year. Amorion yeah. was was he ejected from one or did he just rough the one. punter like six times but not actually get he, he thrown out? He didn't have a kill switch on on punt block. Yeah. Like he didn't he didn't have the stop button. He just like like I'm not like at some point in the run up you have to realize like I'm not going to get there before he kicks the ball. So maybe Amorion I should, realized that and still said and I'm, still just said Fuck it, I'm gonna deck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they won't see me. <laughs> it's going to be a physical bunch. That 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 much is for certain. It's going to be a physical bunch. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm interested to I mean I think 
where Deshaun lines up and how he is uh, used is probably defensively that and who who kind of takes advantage of the new attacking scheme the most. Those are kind of the two things I'm most interested to see, like who stacks, who starts stacking, you know, violent practices on top of each other. Yeah. And you're going to be okay at punter. I think you're going to be so. okay at kicker. Long snapper. Snapper. Holder, yeah, we got like we got like nine kickers. Yeah, but I mean, you've got one. Right. Carter Brown. Rory Bell transferred in from Temple as well. That might be your kickoff guy. Right. Um, Yeah. So uh, there's your position by position, spot by spot, spring football preview as we head into practice on Monday. Uh, I will be there for the first practice Monday. Some combination. Aaron is uh, is is planning on being down. I've got radio. Apparently, Mo is taking Tuesday through Friday off next week. Uh, so so I'm in the radio booth. Uh, we're in a we're in a weird spot, Dave, because when I agreed to these radio dates. I was thinking spring practices in the morning, right? Which it had been for six years. I forgot to. Add into the equation that they don't have the bubble. The bubble is dead. The bubble has gone down for the last time. Uh, so they're going to be looking for warmer weather, or at least like the, the best possible weather of the day. That comes in that three to six window in the afternoon. So spring practices are going to be in the afternoon, uh, which means when I have radio, I won't be able to be there unfortunately. But I'll be there Monday, and then I'll be there for most of the rest of March and pretty much all of September. But uh, hopefully you and Aaron are going to be able to uh, either uh, combine or uh, uh, delegate responsibilities Wednesday and Thursday. Right. I appreciate that. Top G. I I'll be I'll be at both. I'm I'm playing on both. Yeah, Dave was was figuring out if he could sneak his way out of work early one of the two days. He just didn't know that for sure. So, huh. it. I mean, having more bodies there is always better than having none. It's my philosophy. Yes. Um. So we will have full coverage of the spring. Like, don't worry your little head. On that one. Um, I don't know. You got anything else on football you want to talk about? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, not current football. I mean, we have combine starting tomorrow. You want to? You want to get to that? Like, I mean, sure. we can stay on the football. I don't want to go to basketball and then like come right. back. No, so. yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, give us your your combine preview as we get ready for activities start tomorrow right yes ivan pace will be doing i I could have used the very like ivan pace will be put through the paces uh you know but uh (laughs) yeah so 
Ivan goes tomorrow. Arquan goes Friday. And then tight ends, wide receivers are Saturday. Yeah. So, you know, somebody each day outside of the last last day. So how are you uh how are you sizing up the Bearcats as they they head in? Uh there's a, there's growing buzz around Tyler Scott. Very much so. Seems to be following the Alec Pierce uh plan <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've seen several draft experts talking about, you know, pretty much, I won't say lock, but like, if you're asking me right now, I'd say he will be the highest drafted Bearcat and he will go in the second round. I think that's, yeah, especially if he puts up a silly number in the 40. And I fully expect him to do. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, you let, like, let, let's be honest. Him and him and Trey are track guys playing football. Yes. Like, that's That's what they, like, they are fast on fast on fast. They just happen to also be good at football. But those are track guys. Yeah. And I, and I I think Tyler will will run faster than Trey. I do too. Um, I think the forty sets up. Trey has better long speed. He sustained. Yeah, I think Tyler gets to his top speed quicker. I don't disagree with that. Uh, so I I'm going to say that Tyler runs a four two nine and Trey runs a four three one. You're not with Chris Johnson? Did you hear what Chris Johnson had to say? Chris Johnson, like the, the running back from the Titans? That has the record, 4-2-4. Four, four. Well, he used to have the record. John Ross ran faster than him. He said Tyler Scott was going to run faster than 4-2-4. Four, four. Oh, he did? Is he, yeah. is he training him? No, he just, like, he was like, this is a dude I've been watching since, Oh, okay. You know, I've been, he's been on my radar. It's I mean, like fast on fast. If he runs four four two three, like <laughs> that round one be, is in play. Uh, I still somebody might do something stupid if he runs four two three. If, yeah, Al Davis isn't alive anymore. I mean, he didn't take Darius <laughs> Darius Hayward Bay with like the seventh pick uh, out of Maryland that one year. When so the Bengals took John Ross. They did. I don't think uh, Marvin was very happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> Poor James. Um, you know, I, Ivan is Ivan, man. He's. I think he's gonna. He's gonna do the drills well. He's gonna. I think he's gonna run fast. But it just what comes. What do you think his time? What do you four five four four? I think he could crack in the four fours. I mean, he's gonna be a. You know, a smaller guy. He can. I think he could do it. I would. I would not bet on it. I would. I, I'm guess I'm betting. I'm saying four like five. low four fives. Yeah. Um. 
But yeah, I still like. I'm gonna like his eval is not a hard eval for me. Like he's a fifth, sixth round guy unless someone um, has a very, very specific role for him and feels that the value of that role is higher than that. Because he's not gonna. I mean, not saying he can't, but like once you get into those middle rounds, like you need special teams value. Yes. Um, I wouldn't yeah. count him out being a. I wouldn't count him out, teams. but you know, I don't. That's not what he. That's not his thing, really. Um, and he's like, just kind of comes down to like, okay, we love him. He's crazy around the ball. He, you know, but like, how many plays a game is he truly affecting on the NFL level? Like. How are we going to use it? And how does that how does that marry up to um round value? Yeah. I just I've I'm it's hard for me to see that in th- like third, fourth round range. I agree. Unfortunately, just size is gonna kill him. Yeah. I mean you're... it is what it is. He knows it, like he talks about it all the time. Yeah, I mean, and you can say that it doesn't matter, but it, like you're talking about the best of the best. You're not talking about you know offensive linemen from Tulsa and South Florida. You're talking about thirty year old, six five, three hundred and twenty pound right guards, and you're five ten, two thirty. Like, it's hard. It, it's just hard to to consistently beat that. It's, it's physics, man. Like <laughs> right. Not not simple. No. So, you know, obviously interested to see what Josh weighs in at and then what yeah. he runs cuz he obviously at the senior bowl he was 260. Want to see what that does. Um weight-wise the tight end group is incredibly Low. deep. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, how does he look in the drills? Does he catch, you know, is he a smooth catcher at, at what, you know, if this is a new way, does that hinder him in his routes, things of that nature? So, you know, I did, I did find it interesting that, uh, there are six, six Bearcats. Yeah. The rest of the AAC has 10 combined invitees. <laughs> Probably should have had a better year last year. Maybe. I said probably. Maybe. I said definitively, probably. Um, Lenny is going to have a chance to show he's a two-way tight end, right? Like, I, I, I've i got the, the physicality and the strength to play inside and the hands and the, the route yeah, running ability I mean, he, to not be a zero in the passing game. He's got, you know, run well. I don't. I don't love on-air stuff, but I think Lenny could make a lot of money for himself on-air. Meaning quarterbacks throwing and Lenny making some nice, like some catches you don't expect to see. John White, have you not been listening to this podcast? Are you are you late? Are you delayed? <laughs> I guess we'll know in a minute. Dave just did five minutes on where he thinks Ivan land. I have to remember that sometimes people are like, 
you know, 10 minutes behind the live feed. So they're mm -hmm. asking questions that right. we've already answered, but we don't know that. Yes. We, we had a guy last week that was literally 45 minutes behind the live feed the entire show. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just hopped on. Sorry. Okay, that's another one. The guys that just hopped on. Dave yeah. thinks fifth round or so for Ivan. Fifth, sixth, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, Lenny, I think on air can really impress people because we've seen that from him throughout the years where he makes some plays in in one-on-ones or seven-on-sevens, which is, you know, not on air, obviously. Um, but, you know, I, I think he can make some money there, like making some plays that that maybe the scouts don't expect in space. He doesn't yeah. look like a guy that's nimble. You know what I mean? No, but I mean it's you know, he that he's he's gonna have to run fast though because they're gonna go like, yeah, that's great on air, but like in coverage he wouldn't be open. Right. So you know, he's he's shown that ability, but I you still need to see the agility, you know, the the agility drills, the explosion drills, and just you know, he, he can't run like a, you know, he's got to be in the, you know, he can't run some weird, weird number that's just like, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. That's just like so slow, it's not draftable. Like a four eight or. Uh, if he gets in the four eights, I think he's okay. You think he's gonna run like a five, like a lineman number? No, but it's got to be low, like in the four, low four eights, four seven. Yeah. Did last week guy ever catch up? I not while we were live. He never caught up while we were live. <laughs> <laughs> we had moved on. I think it was the BBP. We had moved on from basketball. We were talking about something else, and he kept asking questions from like like eighteen minutes ago. <laughs> But you can't tell him to catch up because he's watching video from 18 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, Arquan. Arquan's super interesting to me. Like, he, he can't be a nickel in the NFL, can he? You wouldn't think so. Not with the way that slot guys are trending in the NFL. Like, they're just freaks. Well, yeah, I mean, like, Jamar Chase is playing a lot of snaps in the slot. Right. Like, they're just physical specimens. I mean, you're, you know, you're you're getting away from just your stagnant of, like, X and Y and Z receivers and just lining your, your best guys up on the outside because they're, they're doing too much to double-team them anymore and take them out of game plan. So we're moving guys around. We're getting motion and off you know off coverage and and yeah i just i'm not sure you know i just don't know where he how he slots in a field i mean his best chance is to be a field corner right yes he, like, I, I don't think he's a boundary because those guys are just again i mean because here's the thing if you're gonna be a field then like Kobe was an a excellent. Lot of zone. Kobe was an excellent cover corner, much better cover, true cover corner than Arquan. Ran in yeah. the low four fives and went in. The, I mean, he was the scoreboard winner. Well, you can argue that that's a silly, like what, you know, whatever. 
but like had a very, very, had a very, very good career. Ran in the low four fives, and is is a fourth rounder, and can really play just one position. Right. I'm. I don't think Arquan's going to run faster than that. The hard part is like you do kind of never know when they they actually get to do the very specific like training. Right. But no one would watch. I mean, at least over the last couple of years, no one would have watched him in the actual games and been like, oh, yeah, he's faster sure. than Kobe. Sure. I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm just saying, like, nobody expected Derek Forrest to run what he ran at his pro day. Oh, no. But some of these guys, when you get them into situations where they're just training for speed, then they come out and they run a number that you're like, damn. But uh, yeah, like, but force speed is translated to the games too, though. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not, but you think you think Arquan was was slow? I mean, I'm not gonna call him slow, but like if you're asking me if I think he's gonna run faster than Kobe, I'm gonna say no. I think we were surprised by Kobe's number two. I think there was a lot of people that didn't think Kobe was that fast. Oh, I thought Kobe, I thought he, I was expecting him to be faster than what he ran. Okay. I mean, if you're a corner and you're not breaking four or five, like that's pretty damn slow. Yeah. And you're not like a, one of these, like, you know, I mean, you got like sauce and, Tyquan Woolen and those, uh, Tyreek Woolen and those dudes are like 6'3", 200 pounds, and they're 212, and they're running in the 4'3s, yeah. and you're not That's even running different. in the 4'4s. It's a little different. It's fair. It's fair. It's going to be an interesting week for Arquan. I, I'm interested to see like where his numbers come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, we're in an hour and a half. You want to do a little bit of basketball, or you over it, or... Where are you at? No, we can. Okay. One game left. They're at 19 wins. Right? Or are they at 18? I think 19. 19 and 11. 19 and 11. You're, you're going to have a chance to get to 20. Potentially 21 or more with the conference tournament. Uh, this has not been... I, I always joke with Aaron. Aaron's a big, uh, he's a Levitard guy. And they, they do the overrated, underrated, properly rated. Where did they steal that from SVP and Rosillo? Or was that SVP? Yeah, that was SVP and Rosillo, <laughs> wasn't it? I, my brain doesn't work right now. <laughs> I, don't I would know, say right now. I, people steal stuff all the time on, on shows. So. Yeah. I would say right now, like unless you have like a, Lose to SMU, lose in the first round of the conference tournament, you know, the, the your first game of the conference tournament. That could change the uh, the dynamic of this. I would say they're about, I think they're one game under where I thought they would be, and you could easily point to two games, NKU and ECU, and say, win either one of those, and they're pretty much exactly where I thought they would be when the season began. They're they're gonna you know eleven if they beat SMU they're eleven and seven in conference. 
I thought 12 and six was probably, you know, the right number. Uh, I'm going to mm-hmm. be off by one there. There were a couple games they should have won. There were a couple games they probably could have lost. Um, where are you at? Overrated, underrated, properly rated, Dave. I mean, based on that, I would probably go properly rated. Um, but when you say, a, when you just give a record in October is one thing, but when it plays out a certain way, then it co- it colors that, you know, that guess or what, you know, prediction a little bit differently. And I, I, it's just, it's been hard for me to, to kind of, you know, at one, on one hand be like, yes, this is kind of what I thought. But on the other hand, be like, yeah, but you have dropped games. Like if you drop some games, but then you have some games where you also can hang your hat on and go, yeah, but we didn't, you know, we probably, we didn't think that that one was going to be a win going into the year. And we did that. So they kind of cancel things out. Like we don't really have that. Well, here's what I, here's where I would argue that Dave. If you thought they were going to win 21, 22 games and have a similar record to what they do in conference, like if you, if this is what you predicted they would do, how can you say it didn't play out like you thought it was going to play out? Because I didn't think they'd lose to NKU and ECU. Okay, so but they clearly made up for that somewhere else if they're still at the number that you thought they were going to be at. Ah, I mean, I don't know. I guess like if we're count if we're getting that minute of one win here or there is going to define whether we say it's properly rated, but underrated that's what you're or doing, but, but they had two games that they should have they had no business losing, but they lost those two games and they're still at right around the number that you thought they would be at. Then they had to have done something you didn't expect them to do. No, they did. They've done nothing. Like they have no win that I'm like, oh, that that was a surprise. Okay, but you still predicted properly. Well, maybe I'm bad at predicting. <laughs> I thought you were. Good I mean, at I just I, I feel totally unfulfilled for this for the second year in a row. Like I I don't nothing about this year jumps out to me as like oh yeah that was. That's going to go down in the annals. I'm going to remember that one. No, I mean, I would agree with that. Like the, the numbers say they were, they had two wins that against the, uh, like the, the upper part of the conference, they beat Tulane here. Um, they beat Temple here or, and they didn't really, the problem is they had too many opportunities on the road where they were up in the second half in a position to win the game and didn't get it done. Should have won at Houston. Could like Memphis, eh, you know, that was, they, they made a a, a late comeback, but they never really were in a position where they should have won that game. They, they, Tulane was pissing down your leg. I mean, like, yeah, the, the, and like I, I listened to 
I don't know if it, I think it was BBP where you guys were talking about how like basically all the turnovers in the Memphis game came in the in this one stretch and so it, it is was, kind it of was, like it was the it last is, eight minutes of the first half, the first eight minutes of the second yeah. half. I mean, it's kind of you know unfair to, to to do the whole like they weren't ready to play thing because at the beginning of the game that wasn't it wasn't like they just walked into the arena and started handing the ball to Memphis right from the beginning yeah. of the game. But at the same time, like my frustration with that performance and the ECU performance and the end of the Tulane game stems from the fact like this is an incredibly old team and. We've talked about the whole like whether or not they haven't like conditioned themselves to win and all of those things, but like, but you're still whether you're conditioned to win or not, you're still making the type of mistakes that young teams make in game thirty of a season of a team that has all four and five year guys that haven't won. A- but. Th- Having not one doesn't Again, having doesn't, all four and five year guys doesn't instantly getting old and staying old doesn't instantly make you good. There's it, more to it than that. Right, but it make it should make you not be as careless with the ball as they were for twenty for six whatever of the game. Like it's one thing for the guy to come up and steal the ball for Landers and twi- two times in a row, whatever. There was also a stretch at one point where it looked like they had never actually dribbled the basketball. And we're, we're dribbling into Memphis players on purpose and then letting them take the ball from them. Micah did it and then once. also throwing ridiculous passes to right. nowhere. That has nothing to do with conditioning, like having a winning, being conditioned to win. No, that's fair. I have no argument with that. So, like, that's where, like, Sunday I was like, I don't need to watch this anymore. <laughs> and I legitimately did not watch one second of the second half. Those, I said it after the game. That was as frustrated as I've been watching a game all season. That was the most frustrated I've been watching a game all season because all of it was so avoidable. Like, just, just like, know that when Alex Lomax is on the floor, he's looked to sneak in from behind and take the ball away from you. Like, you kind of have to be aware of where the guy is because that's one of the things that defines who he is as a player. Right. He wants to do that to you. If you're watching the scouting report and you're watching video, you have to know, you have to have seen that Alex Lomax likes to sneak up from behind on people with the ball at the elbow or like, you know, anywhere he can kind of like get in low and come from behind and take the ball. Right. Like they, you cut off of, the on-ball defender, and yeah. in your mind, you think, well, that guy's passed, so the defender's just going to automatically trail him, and then he comes up and, you know, and picks your pocket. And, like, I don't know, Memphis was averaging 19 turnovers over their last three games going. They had 24 turnovers. Dave, that was that was actually a bigger – my bigger issue in the first half. And, like, Memphis we did- had- Zero turnovers for 18 minutes in the first half. It was half. like, did, did we know that? Did we know that they had literally been, like, just giving the ball to the other team three games in a row? That's effort. Like, that's not getting in passing lanes. That's not being, like, dialed into the defensive scout. That's just kind of going through the motions defensively. Um, 
that like maybe you could convince me that we were just so dialed in on stopping Kendrick Davis and DeAndre Williams. Well, that didn't work either. You did. They did a great job on Kendrick Davis. He took twenty two shots. Like, well, I he, mean, he did I'm, not. I'm talking just in the first half. I mean, DeAndre Williams had like fifteen points ten minutes oh, into the game. DeAndre Williams was phenomenal. They did absolutely nothing to stop him the entire day. They did a good job on Kendrick Davis. They did a terrible job on DeAndre Williams. Terrible. Terrible. That's terrible, man. That's terrible. But no, I mean, that's just like, that's where I kind of just come come down on things. It's, you know, you already know the other team is, is better. I mean, they're playing, they're, I don't know, is Memphis in the tournament or are they on the bubble? I have no idea. But like, they're, they've had a better season. They're playing at home. And so you you have some, some things stacked against you right from the jump. And then you, you have just, to be good at the little things. And then you just come out and not from the jump. Again, it was like 11 to 10 or whatever. But then all of a sudden it was like. Eh. It was 12 to 11. And then they just gave up a thousand layups. And like, we're just, just not going to even like, I mean, three, four possessions in a row with either just a ridiculously dumb pass, a. I mean, a just a dribbling exhibition that five-year-olds would would think was bad. I I just I don't know what that what that was there after you know like you said after the first couple segments. And, and, and the the other annoying thing is they did figure it out in the final eight minutes. Yes, that it part just pissed took. Me. That, 15 that, minutes too long. That part pisses me off even more. If you right. just got blown out, okay, whatever. You get blown out. But I'm tired of the like, oh, well, they made a game of it. They came back, which tells me then why didn't you do that from the beginning? Well, sometimes a team just goes on a run. Like, they have good players. They're going to make the tournament. Sometimes a team goes on a run. My argument that I think you'll agree with is – you can't let that continue for 16 minutes. If it happens for six, seven, eight minutes where they're doing similar things to like take you out of your rhythm and they're frustrating you, you have to be able to regroup and say, okay, they're doing this to us. We have to stop that. I mean, right. And but It like, just if- took Cincinnati entirely too fucking long to like stop the bleeding. They had one turnover in the final eight minutes. Why didn't you do that to start the second half? You go into halftime, and you're like, these guys are punking us. We have 15 turnovers. They have 10 steals. Do not let them steal the ball again. And then in the first eight minutes of the second half, they stole the ball like five more times. Ah! <laughs> right? Yes. It's, you know, it's and it's like you're watching the game much closer than I am, but, like, especially in the first half, it just felt like Memphis was just playing with – more aggression, more effort, more energy. It wasn't like they were doing anything defensively that was like, oh my God, we weren't prepared for this. We have no answer. It was just like they just were playing harder. Um, I I mean, I want to agree with that, but how do you win on the glass by 12 against a team that's playing harder? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, I just meant from like it, when our turnovers were not out of like yes. No, but no, but you're you're right. There was one area that didn't make any sense. It wasn't like Cincinnati was playing soft or they were like overall. I'm talking in like right. a 10,000-feet view. 
they were doing a lot of things that showed that they were playing hard, toughness, whatever you want to say. And then there was one area that none of the other stuff matched in that one area. That's what made it frustrating as hell. That's why I said it was the most frustrating game I watched all season. Because it was like, you're doing all the other stuff. Except that one thing. And you're just letting Memphis confuse the shit out of you or whatever it was. But it's a team that has taken care of the ball all year. And they just lost their fucking minds when it came to the one thing that was going to win them that game. Because that's what Memphis wants to do to you. Penny's playing five or six different looks on defense this year, like pressure-wise. Um, and if you can handle that, you can beat them. But if you can't handle that, they punk you. And they got punked. And it was frustrating as hell because we saw in the first minutes, eight minutes of the game, that didn't happen. And in the last eight minutes of the game, that didn't happen. So what the hell happened in the other 24 minutes? Yeah. I can't imagine they did anything different like Memphis. Uh, They did. They did because they switch constantly throughout the game. Like I said, he has five or six different like stuff that they do to pressure the ball that they have been switching through. And he found one that worked, but it's your job to shut that off to say, okay, like, okay, this is, you changed it up. You you adjusted to our like what we wanted to do. Now it's our job to to not let that change the game. And right. Cincinnati like, did a terrible job of that. It's like run in football running the same play over and over until the other team figures out a way to stop it. But like yeah, in basketball it should be you know it's, it's, you shouldn't just be like well I don't know what to do. We're just you know we're just gonna keep doing this. They presented a pressure that Cincinnati had, like like was uncomfortable with, and Cincinnati did a terrible job of the players on the court being tough enough to say, we're not just going to give the ball to you. Especially, we're not just going to give the ball to you, where the end result is you just going down and getting a layup or like an easy dunk. Yeah. It was like six turnovers for touchdowns, 12 points. In a a one score game down the stretch. Ah! <laughs> Annoying, frustrating, angry. I have no idea the tiebreak if it happens with Tulane. I have no idea. Tulane no. beat Houston or beat Memphis twice. So I would assume that gives Tulane the tiebreak. The only team Cincinnati beat twice at the top of the standings is UCF. And they're sixth. Yeah. So when you're going down the tiebreak scenarios, um, I would guess Tulane holds the tiebreak. Because that would put Memphis, like if Tulane lost out, that would make Memphis second and Tulane beat Memphis twice. Mm-hmm. So that would, Cincinnati's going to play in the 4-5 game. I'm just assuming it's going to be Temple, which we have seen has been a very difficult matchup for the Bearcats. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, uh, go. You got a senior day. Um, they're losing to ECU at the moment. Wow. Tulane is yeah. 
Yeah, that's we were talking about Tulane. Um, senior day, get out there and give Dave the biggest damn ovation you can manage to give somebody. My God, that kid, <laughs> the things he's put up with and like like dealt with in his time here at Cincinnati. Get there early and give him give him a rousing ovation. Rousing ovation. Yeah, four games in eight days because they had um they had a makeup. They play they play ECU you. back to back. They play them tonight and yeah. then in a couple days. Yeah, and then they've got a game on Sunday, I think, as well. So yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe they do lose out. I, I don't foresee that happening. Like they'll find a way to win one, I would guess. Uh but go give Dave his flowers, because you know. There's a lot that's happened in this program over the past three years, and he has elevated himself from a good Bearcat to a guy that that has scored, that has facilitated, that has become like their number one perimeter defender. Like the guy deserves, and and he's done so much stuff. He's got a lot of Joey Votto in him. Uh, in that, there's a bunch of stuff that Dave has done around town without cameras. Um, you know, showing up at, you know, like youth basketball, uh, leagues and helping like, you know, being a a role model for the kids, um, being a a good citizen, uh, just because he feels that it's the right thing to do, get there Sunday and, and give him his flowers. He deserves them. I'll be sad to see Dave go. You're on mute. Yes, I agree. I mean, he's been kind of the the face of the the program for time. He's especially these last couple of years, I would say. I mean, I don't know if anybody wanted to be yeah. the face of the program three years ago. <laughs> it still was kind of him. Yeah, kind of. In a totally he- coincidental thing, like the. By far, heavy favorite of the Atlantic Ten fell flat on their face this year. I wonder, I wonder what I wonder what had to do with that. No comment. No comment. Uh, by the time we're back next week, we'll know the seed. We'll know the time. I'm guessing Friday in that second game, uh, which means I will be live on air on ESPN fifteen thirty. Uh, while the Bearcats play, probably Temple. Uh, I might just take my laptop and uh, do a live watch party while I'm doing live radio. How many people are going to be at that game? <laughs> if it's Cincinnati Temple at uh, 3.30 tip off because it's in Dallas. So the, the first game, the Houston game won't be until one. Um, not many. I mean, not many. that's why it's so terrible to put that, that tournament in Dallas. That, that tournament should have always been in Memphis. Always, 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 always. The people of Memphis care about college basketball. They care about Memphis. Like you put the tournament in Memphis every year. Yeah. Nobody wants to go to Dallas. SMU fans don't go to the tournament. 
and they live in Dallas. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm more of a football guy, but the conference tournament in the Big 12 might be like the single event I'm looking forward to the most about moving to the Big 12. Why? Just because it's always been like a great, great event. Yeah. And it's even even better event now that Brett Yormark is having a hipper, cooler, younger Big 12 <laughs> uh, NBA All-Star Weekend type type of uh, feel to it with Shaq DJing this year and Fat Joe performing and Taste of the Big 12. Did you see that today? I yeah, I saw like that they're doing a thing that like they're having like a a, a food from a every food city. From every city. I can't wait yeah. till there's Coney dogs next year. Brian, Fort Worth and Dallas are the same thing. It's like I can uh, be from one to the other in ten minutes. They're the like same. Like Union Center from downtown. Yeah, they're the same thing. I know they're not culturally. I know they're actually different. Like Fort Worth is kind of old school and Dallas is like new and hip. But I can drive from one to the other in less time it takes me to get to Good Samaritan Hospital from Independence. They're the same thing. They might not like that I say that, uh, but it's true. Uh, Tyler Scott said earlier this week that he bets he'll run under Chris Johnson's number at the combo love it uh mo and tony were discussing the possibility of wes having some difficult talks with everyone besides vic and lander's thoughts uh wes disagrees with that here's my thoughts on that oh boy here we go no you and i talked about this earlier i don't care like i get that people love to do the roster construction thing and i know this is a bad take for a podcast I don't care. I just want to win games. If that means some of the guys on this team come back, if it means all of the guys come back, if it means none of the guys, I don't care anymore. You know, COVID year notwithstanding, or withstanding, however you say that, I don't know. Like, we're going on four years without making the tournament. I know one of those years there wasn't a tournament. They would have made it. They might have made it. They might have. They probably would have. We don't know, but I'm just – we're going on four years. Like, I don't really care at this point. And I'm not thinking we're going to make it next year. So, however Wes thinks the best way to build this roster for next year is, I don't – sure, whatever. Just win more games. Yeah. Don't – like, I know they can't lose the ECU anymore. Like, actually can't. Don't lose any more games. Like, don't lose any more games can't like lose that. The ECU, yeah. yeah, like, don't lose any more games like that. I'm, I'm tired of it. Like, make the tournament be in – have me refreshing bubble matrix or bracket matrix and like however you need to get that done, get it done. I will support regardless of how it goes. Cause I just don't care. Gray Bush asked Tony and Mo, like I, you know, you know, my argument the entire time we will worry about the big 12 when this season is over and we find out what the roster is going to look like. And right. we'll talk about the big 12 at that point in time. Like, I, I don't I, care. How can I possibly like, 
Like I, I mean, they could have four new players. They could have two new players. They could have no new players. Right. I can't possibly give an assessment on what I think that's like. Half of the Big 12 could go to the NBA. <laughs> I mean, Iowa State turned over practically their entire entire roster. So, like, I don't and think now, anybody – And now they're falling apart and, and are falling back to the bubble. Right, but I just mean, like, if, those, if their fans were having this conversation at this time last year, they would have had – like, they were two and whatever – they would have no, they would have had no idea what this next season yeah. is going to be held because they don't have any idea what the roster is going to be. Right. They need a re- Cincinnati needs a real big time coach like TJ Otzelberger or Jerome Tang or like come on you guys got to stop with this like like the silliness the nonsense. Jerome Tang like, is a good coach. I I agree. He has proven to be a good coach. And do and you consider t- Jerome Tang? A big time coach. No, it took him thirty years to get a head yeah, coaching job. To get a head, it took him forever to get a head coaching job, right? And maybe that's somebody else's fault. You know, obviously. Sure. But, but no, like Jerome Tang is not Bill Self. Look what's Bill going Self. on at Oklahoma State. They had momentum for like two or three years because they hired a guy's brother. Like they, they you know, they 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 built what people thought was like a a sustainable foundation. Now they're struggling. West Virginia has a Hall of Fame coach. He's not building great Big 12 rosters. Oh, I did I did How wanna, about I did want to find out what up. Cincinnati looks like in the Big 12 when they play in the Big 12. Right. Do you want to hear something funny? I looked this up today actually. Yes. Do you know how many Big 12 conference games were tier one or tier two or quad one, quad two. Like all of them, right? All, all of them. Do you know how many quad one, quad two conference games you see played this year? Four. Actually more than that. Six. Nine. Nine. That's, that's half. Yes. <laughs> that's so half. that's not, but that's like, we have like, you have, it's just, and again, next year, who knows what the Big 12 is going to – it's probably not going to be historically good as it was this year. Like, right. But, I mean, you're literally – like, this is what we've talked about for how many years of, like, your opportunities. Yeah. Like, you literally have an opportunity every night for two months. For quad one and quad two wins. Right. Two and a half months now, really. I mean, you start conference play January 1 – and it goes to the middle of March, like yeah. two and a half months, you have an opportunity to, you know, to, to better your record and, and get you a chance. So like, I'm not going to count them out because I mean, look at like West Virginia bought like multiple, multiple game losing record in conference, like still in play for the tournament, right. Texas tech, same thing, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, same thing. So, you know, you gotta you gotta put together a roster with some dudes. I mean, I, I have a feeling there's gonna be. I, I don't think it's gonna be zero. I don't think it's gonna be four. Um, and you see, you see somewhere that, two to three. There will be somewhere between two to three new roster spots open. 
You see what I don't think it'll one. I don't think it'll be one. I don't think it'll be four. Somewhere between two to three new players that aren't yet signed will be on this roster. Probably closer to two, three. You never know what happens when you have these conversations at the end of the year. Again, that's another thing we've talked about. There's been a bunch of situations over the last two years between football and basketball. We're going into the talk. We thought for sure we knew what was about to happen. And then the talk happened between the coach and the player. And all of a sudden, it was completely different than what we thought. You don't know until they sit down and talk. I I think there will be more than one. I think there will be less than four. We'll find out from there. Perfect. And I have nothing else. Sorry. Because I've, I've hit my two hour limit. <laughs> my daughter's trying to get my dog to go outside and go to the bathroom. For for those newbies that don't yeah. don't know about my two hour limit. <laughs> we are we are at two hours. Exactly. Two hours and one minute. So that's it for the night. We'll see you next week. It'll be another Wednesday night at eight because the Bearcats don't play. So uh, we'll see you then. That is, or that was, the BCJ podcast brought to you by the Holy Grail right here on BearcatJournal.com.